So you take a new job. You're given a job description. This is your job. And there are any number of things on there. The last one being, and other duties as assigned by supervisor. Right? So if there's something on here I forgot, if there's something on here that we didn't think about, we're going to jump it, uh, dump it into your job description anyway. But there is a not-so-subtle contract in the giving of that job description. There are lots and lots and lots of jobs in the organization. There are lots of things to be done. Here are the 10, 11, 15 things we want you to do. This is what we want you to do. We don't want you to do anything else. This is what we want you to focus on, and the rest of it, frankly, is none of your business. Even the church has to fill certain roles. And you constantly hear two things in a local church. One, you hear we can never find enough volunteers. Whatever their ministry, we don't have enough for preschool, don't have enough for children, we don't have enough for students, we don't have enough adult Bible teachers, on and on the list goes. And the second thing you will hear is that the people in the church are burned out. That they have made the mistake of saying to one minister, yes. And the staff of the church assumed that the yes to one minister was a yes to every minister. And you go from one position to every position. To finally you get to the end of a year and you say, I'm never going to do anything ever again in the church. Your yes to everything soon becomes a no to everything. It was never intended to be like that. In fact, the reason it got like that is because we violated a basic teaching of New Testament theology. You ready for it? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. And we see this deep truth taught in John 21. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verses 20 and 23. Now this is right after the conversation where Jesus had told Peter to feed my sheep. Where Jesus had told Peter that the day will come when your hands will be bound and you will be taken to places you don't want to go. After hearing this, this is the way Peter replies. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, 
follow me. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it. And live. Let's pray together. You have created each of us in your image. You have loved each of us. And more than that, you have created us and invited us to be part of your kingdom work. So as we leave this worship service this morning, may we know who we are in you. May we know the purpose to which we've called and may we live in the freedom of knowing who we are and what we are to do. Free enough to release everything else. We pray this in your name. Amen. You remember the story. John, uh, Peter and a couple of other disciples had gone back to fishing. Jesus had met them on the shore of Galilee. The disciples came on shore, began to talk with Jesus, and they began to have breakfast. In the period of that conversation, Jesus asked Peter those three penetrating questions. Peter, do you love me? At the end of that conversation, when Peter had sworn Jesus that he did love them, he, loved, he did love him, surely Jesus had to know this. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know, the day will soon come when your hands will be bound and you will be taken to places you, want, you don't want to go, but the choice won't be yours. John then kind of put a parenthesis in here and he said that was told to Peter so that he would understand that he, like the other disciples, except for John, would be a martyr. Rome would kill Paul. Rome would kill Peter. Peter, ever having this kind of simmering, jealous relationship with John about who would be favorite, who would be Jesus' favorite disciple, Remember, it is um, John and Peter who race to the empty tomb. And in John's gospel, he has to tell us he outran Peter. Jesus has been raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. And the one thing I want to make sure you know is I'm faster than Peter. Who puts that in the gospel? A guy puts that in the gospel. Every, every guy reading that goes, yeah, okay. I see that. <laughs> so now Peter wants to know what's going to happen to John. So John is kind of walking up behind it, and Peter looks at Jesus and goes, what about him? And Jesus says to him, let me translate to Alabama. Boy, that's none of your business. That's none of your business. If I want him to be alive when I come back, that's between me and him. As for you, you follow me. As for you, you follow me. Now, I know that doesn't sound like one of the more liberating passages of Scripture, but I promise you it is. Let me tell you how, how, how it is. It breaks down. One, you are created to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. This relationship is based on his overwhelming love, unmerited grace that he lavishes on us, that he showed us in his life and his death and his resurrection. 
In that love, we, we are told who we are and why we are of value, right? My friends in real estate tell me that something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. On the day that the price of your soul was demanded, Jesus laid down his life for you. That's how much you're worth. Now, that's where your value comes from. It doesn't come from anything else. It isn't found anywhere else. Now, this is where the world wants to mess with you. The world wants to tell you, well, that, all that Jesus stuff you talk about on Sunday is great, and we're glad it helps you feel better. But listen, if you want to be of value, if you want to make a difference, and you have to do that in your career, you've got to have a job. You've got to have a job that takes 60 or 80 hours of your week. You've got to have a job that pays you a lot of money because you can buy a lot of stuff. So you can buy a lot of stuff that you don't have time to spend on your stuff. Got a boat, don't have time to go. Okay, that's what the world does too. And we will celebrate the value of who you are. We'll put your face on the front of every magazine. We'll invite you to speak at every conference. And you'll lose your marriage. And you'll lose your children. And we call that the price of success. We call that the price of success because the world will tempt you into finding your identity, your worth, and declaring your destiny and to be something that you do. In theology, we call that the salvation of works. Now that is that you can do enough, that you can work hard enough that Jesus will then have to accept you, okay? Now, when I was a kid, my mom collected green stamps. Y'all remember that? You had a book, all right? Okay, uh, points. It was the early system of points. You had a book. And you would shop at certain places, and if you spent enough money, they would give you green stamps. You would lick all those stamps, you would put them in the book, and you would go to the green stamp store and exchange those books for things that you wanted. Now, my brother and I were always putting out, uh, pointing out stuff in the catalog that we wanted. There were particular toys, there were particular things that would be great for a kid our age. My mom was always saving up for something like an iron. That's where she would get her points. Okay, and some of us have the green stamps theory Right? Frequent fire miles of, of, of serving Jesus. If we go to church, we get a point. If we go on Sunday night, well, it's two points. <clears throat> Wednesday night, when nobody else is going but us, well, that's, that's five or ten points. And we're hoping that we can get enough points, let somebody in on traffic when we're on 65, and we don't have to because we have the right of way and they're butting in, but well, we're going to let them in. That's a point. Okay. We're hoping that we can get enough points that we can stand in front of Jesus one day and cash in our points. That we have done enough. We'll pay it. And then Jesus will owe us. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who does the Lord owe that he has to repay? 
Do you understand the foolishness of that? That you and I would have a debt owed to us by God. That we would have a debt owed to us by God. As a result, our country is lonely. We can talk to anybody in the world. Did you know that? You got stuff in your pocket now. You can call anybody in the world. And most of us do not have a friend that we can call at four o'clock in the morning if there's a problem. We are lonely. You sold out to this lie that the value is found out in what you do. See, my friends who retired before me are pulling me aside and ruining my day. <laughs> They're telling me, boy, you better be ready. You better be ready. Your life stops when you retire. One guy told me, he said, you know, the Christmas that before I retired, I got 600 Christmas cards. The year I retired, I got three. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with that. Why? Because my identity is not in being the senior pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church. Now, I love you. No pastor has ever loved the church more than I love you. But you don't validate my life. Jesus did that. And when Jesus told me who I was, that trumped everybody else. Okay? Same with you. You are created to be in relationship with him. Part of that relationship is work to do. Right? Part of the relationship is work to do. Jesus is busy about redeeming his world. He's bringing, he's bringing it back into relationship with him. That's what Jesus is busy doing. If you love Jesus, if he loves you, then you're going to be at work with him. Some part of that redemptive plan belongs to you. Some part of that is your job description. You have gifts. You're created on purpose, for a purpose, to be engaged in some kingdom-building activity. Now, me, I love Scripture. I love, I love I get to preach because, okay, this past week I was on a Disney cruise with my, with my grandchildren. I was grandfather. I walked behind my grandbabies and paid for everything. That's what I did. <laughs> so... <clears throat> And my son would look at me and I look at him and go, not my problem. Okay? All right, one morning, I'm doing my Bible study. I'm sitting at the breakfast table, writing in my journal, and all of a sudden I go, ooh, 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 ooh. Jesus says, what is wrong with you? I said, I finally figured this passage out. I've been dealing with this passage all my life. Now I finally got it. She said, you're out of your mind. Yeah. What I do. 
what I love to do. And I love I get to share that with you. That's my part of the kingdom redemption process. You have that gift. Now this gift is going to be the place where Jesus and you enjoy being together. It's where you're shown the insights of the kingdom. One of the ways that you learn about Jesus is through study of scripture. The other way you learn about Jesus is through obedience. It's in following him. Now, what is that ministry? What is that ministry that your gifts lead you to? And what do you have to do to be able to do that ministry? Now, notice what I said. What is it that you have to do to be able to be part of that ministry? What tent-making job do you need to do so that you can do what you were sent here to do? Don't get the two confused. The job pays your bills. The ministry reveals your destiny. Do not get the two confused. Some of you are looking for some major corporation to bless you. They can't. You do know that every organization you work for is by definition atheistic. Okay, you do know that. What is the first rule of the bureaucracy? Everybody knows this. First rule of the bureaucracy is to protect the bureaucracy. It's not to serve God. By definition, it's atheistic. If you're looking for some other organization to bless you by telling you who you are and the purpose for which you are created, you are serving an idol that can't do that. What kind of God do you serve, God asking the prophets? You go out into the woods, you grab a stick. With one part of that stick, you build a walking cane. With another part of the stick, you build a fire. The other part of the stick, you carve your God. If you get up and leave, you have to go back inside, get your God, because your God can't follow you. What kind of God do you serve, a God who cannot move? What kind of God do you serve that by definition cannot fulfill the basic cravings of the human life of identity, who I am and why I am? Now, and this is the part where it gets, it gets good. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. And the rest of it is none of my business. If Jesus needs me over there, he'll send me over there. But he has it, must need me here. That is none of my business. People walk up to me all the time and say, what's going on at this other church? Don't know, why? It's none of my business. Okay? Let me tell you what happens in the typical church. You make the mistake of walking down the wrong hall on Sunday morning. One of our ministers walks out and grabs you and says, listen, we don't have anybody to teach this class. Will you teach this class today? Yep. Yeah, put you in the class. You agreed for one Sunday. It quickly turns into a year. 
you have committed. What do you start doing? You start counting Sundays. 51 more Sundays and I won't have to do this again. 50 more Sundays and I won't have to do this again. You've always, you already said that I'll never walk down this hall again. You're thinking about what other door you can come in. Okay? What do the children who are in your room think? Why didn't this person love me? Why do they hate coming here? Ah, but you find somebody who's called to be with preschoolers, who's called to be with children, who's called to be with, with adolescents, who's called to be with adults, they will make the stars shine in the sky. If some of you are overcommitted, and you're overcommitted in the church, and you're overcommitted because of guilt. Because at Baptist school, we learn how to beat you to death with guilt. I don't want you serving out of guilt. I want you serving out of pur uh, uh, purpose. I want you serving out of calling. I want you where you're supposed to be and I want you to be able to relax and let everything else go. None of my business. Travis leads our worship service. Travis leads our musicians. Aren't you glad? It's not me. People ask me, what's going on with Travis? I don't know. Go ask Travis. Why? It's none of my business. Do what you're supposed to do. Be where you're supposed to be. Serve whom you're supposed to serve. Find a way to pay your bills that allow you to do your ministry. And then say no to everything else. It's none of your business. So this week, when somebody asks you, what did Mike preach about? You tell him. <laughs> Mike told me to mind my own business. When you do, you'll have everything you need for the day and a joy that'll carry you through eternity. Let's pray together. Now listen, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to do some serious thinking. Right now, the, part of the, the first part of this invitation is what are you going to say no to? What are you going to let go of? You're involved in civic organizations. You're involved in school organizations. You're involved in community organizations. And I know some of this is good, but you're wearing yourself out for no good reason. What are you going to say no to? to create some space for you to be you. To create some space for you to be able to do what Jesus called you to do. What are you gonna let go of? And yes, some of that's gonna be stuff you do in the church. 
that you know you're not good at, you know you're not called to do, and you need to let go of it. Now, what are those things you're going to say yes to? One of those handful of things, and I mean handful of things you're going to say yes to. Yes to Jesus. Yes to your family. Yes to your ministry. What are those things you're going to say yes to? For some of you, you've never thought about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't know what that means to know who you are in Him and the destiny to which you call. We're waiting for you in the Welcome Center. We'd love to answer your questions about Jesus and help you understand who He is and what it means to be in relationship with Him. You don't know how you're gifted, how you're wired. We've got processes to help you discover how you're put together and what ministry is in line with your giftedness. We've got all that set up. We're waiting for you in the Welcome Center. However the Lord is coming to you, He's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you if you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we make, we pray every decision we make right now is exactly what you want.